Legends of the Craft. Myth, legend, and inspirational stories from Freemasonry. Hi, welcome back to Legends of the Craft. Uh, haven't posted in, in a little while here. Sorry we missed you in August, but uh, we were off in a Masonic workshop that month and uh, very busy down there. We did we had some loose plans to post a podcast for you, but uh, a little too busy. There was a there was a whole lot to do at this Masonic workshop, and we kept ourselves very very involved. This month uh, we're gonna deviate from our previous subjects. We've been talking about American. Uh, modern heroes we've been talking about ancient biblical stories but we're going to go now to some ancient philosophers who some say have connections with masonry some don't but definitely his teachings when read and written and understood definitely are masonic in essence absolutely uh today we're going to be talking about pythagoras and uh everybody is familiar with pythagoras uh to one degree or another whether you know it or not uh one of the basic teachings of, uh, of geometry that you took in elementary school or in junior high school. Uh, they, they teach about the Pythagorean theorem, which uh, to a lot of folks is just an equation. But uh, Pythagoras is the one who is uh, given credit for this theorem, or his school, the Pythagorean school, is given credit for this theorem, uh, which is still taught in today's schools, uh, which is a basic mathematic principle. But uh, he was more than just a mathematician. Uh, Pythagoras had a whole school where he taught uh, about religion and spirituality, uh, philosophy, and, and music. And was actually uh, the first person credited with uh, monastic living. All those students lived there uh, like a monastery, uh, men and women. It wasn't just monks uh, as we know them today as men and, uh, and nuns for women. They were... It was men and women on equal footing, and uh, they were all considered monks within his school. Pythagoras was born in Salmos between the years 5080 and 5072 BC, and apparently he died sometime between 500 or 490 BC. I mean, there's a lot of different stories about his life, several versions of his death that we'll kind of tell you about, and so in this episode. We don't really have a story to tell you like on our other uh, podcast, but uh, Brother Brian Bungie has prepared something equally as interesting for our listeners. Yes, I, I have found uh, some very interesting things. There are a lot of fragments of his writings that are still uh, intact today. There's a lot of things that have been passed down, but uh, like most people of his time, of the uh, the times before Christ, there's not... There's not a good written history uh, or a, a solid biography. There's a lot of hearsay. Um, they just didn't have the type of records that we have today, and that's true for everybody. This isn't something exclusive to Pythagoras. He, there's actually quite a bit more substantial record of his life than there are most people of the times, but uh, not enough to really postulate on on what was actually true and what wasn't. But what we have here is is some of his some of his writings, uh, one of his favorite ways to teach in the school was through symbolic aphorisms. Um, he would use these to, as an allegory, 
to his students, um, which is a very popular way of teaching during those times, which is related to the mystery schools and related to the fact that it's uh, you you can understand whatever you would like out of out of these aphorisms. Uh, there are many different levels of understanding to these, and uh, there were uh, Iamblichus. He gathered 39 of these symbolic sayings of Pythagoras and interpreted them. Then um, now they've been translated by uh, Thomas Taylor from the original Greek. Uh, we're going to go over 10 of these, probably the, our top 10 of these aphorisms. Uh, to go over all 39 of them would take the entire podcast. We'd like a little bit of time to talk about what they mean. So we found 10 of these that are the most relevant to Freemasonry and to establishing what Pythagoras really thought and what he taught in his schools. But uh, before we go into these, before we present these, let's go over a little bit of the history that, that we do have about Pythagoras so we can understand a little better where he's coming from. Pythagoras' uh, father was a wealthy merchant from the East Aegean Sea. He would take his son Pythagoras with him all over Greece, trade various goods, and this really opened Pythagoras to a lot of different forms of education. He met a lot of different of the sages of the time, the educators, uh, prominent political figures. And he was introduced to higher levels of thinking very early on uh, as a young man. It is said that he was told by the philosopher Thales, who was impressed with his abilities as a young man, uh, to go to Memphis in Egypt. Because Memphis in Egypt was a place of of the greatest philosophy of the time. I mean, the most learned men were from Egypt. And they had the mystery schools of Isis and, and so forth in, in Egypt. Which is, you know, has very close connections to Freemasonry. They all had, you know, three degrees, you know, they, they taught birth, life, death, and and so he was introduced to these subjects, again, very, very young. And so he's, he's said to have trained in these temples under these great philosophers, sages, and... He then traveled uh, to the Middle East, where he was trained in the temples of Tyre and Bablos in, in Phoenicia. He's also said that he traveled amongst the Jews and learned the ways of Moses uh, by the rabbis of Israel. And then he went traveled even further east uh, to Babylonia, into Persia, uh, learned from Zoroaster, and eventually even went into Hindustan, where he is known by the Brahmins. And there's a word here that I don't think I can pronounce if I wanted to. But some Hindu word basically calling this great man from the Ion Islands. Now, it should be stated, who he called Zoroaster is probably not the same god that is worshipped today by Zoroastrians. Um, we're not saying he communed with their, with their version of god. Uh, but there, was, there were many accounts of a Zoroaster that he studied with which don't know the connection to the modern religion today, but it most certainly is not who they worship as a deity in the Zoroastrian religion. And so with these teachings, traveling from west to east, he returned back to the west, very Masonically, and um, established a school, a secret society, some would say, in Crotona, which is in southern Italy. And there, this school focused on the evolution of math, astronomy, and music. He believed that everything in the universe could be related back to numbers. Numbers could explain everything. And so they studied these numbers vigorously. Now the school, interestingly enough, was uh, divided into three degrees. They had novices, 
the nomothets, and the mathematicians. And there's Greek terms for all these, but we're going to not try to uh, sound ignorant today, so we'll keep it to the English versions. And basically, the first degree were, were people um, from Cretona or, or surrounding cities that wanted to come learn at the school. They could, you know, they could uh, still have side jobs and, and have personal possessions and eat meats. They were, they were basically like part-time students today. They Entered apprentices of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Or like any college student, they went, they took their classes, they went home. They, they led their lives like normal. Not really uh, what you call secret society material when all the surrounding, when all your neighbors could come and hang out at your compound. Not, not really too secret. The second group, the, the nomothoths, were basically the administrators the agents, the executive agents of, of this organization in Cretona. They're the ones that taught the apprentices or the novices. They're the ones that sort of ran everything and they, they worked with the communities and obtaining food and other such things. So they were sort of the administrators. The final group were the mathematicians, the final degree. And, and you had to have been a novice for seven years to finally become a mathematician. Now at this level, people uh, rarely ate any meat. Only only certain sacrificed animals were allowed to be eaten. Uh, they couldn't eat any beans, interestingly enough. Um, very monastic was their life. You know, they studied, they ate very little, uh, they prayed a lot, they sang a lot of hymns because they were very much into music. They had a, uh, a hymn to Apollo they would sing every day. And so these people lived very vigorous lives, very rigid, very regimental. And, you know, their goal was to, you know, to basically come closer to what Pythagoras called the monad. Monad like God, but monad means basically the one. He described God as the supreme mind, distributed throughout all parts of the universe, the cause of all things, the intelligence of all things, the power within all things. He further declared the motion of God to be circular, the body of God to be composed of substance of light, and the nature of God to be composed of the substance of truth. It's pretty interesting. I mean, this is this is a very uh, a very Eastern idea. You know, you know, God's not a person. He's not a being. He's not some some individual on a throne. But he, he, he truly is the essence of the universe. I mean, he is the greatest within all of us. He, you know, he penetrates all of us. He's outside of us. He 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 is. Everything is composed of God. Is the way I look at that. How do you look at that, Brother Bungie? Absolutely the same way. It's uh, sounds to me like if he was if he was around postulating today, it would uh, he would be considered a new ager. He would. Uh, I mean, this is a lot of the same philosophy that you find in in those types of uh, practices in the new age religions and some of those uh, some of those belief systems that uh, God is less uh, an embodied person and more spread throughout the cosmos, a, a universal intelligence, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and very, very bold for his time, for that certain time, when people certainly believed in, in direct relationships with the gods. People of those times made sacrifices to individual gods and thought more so than today that the gods could directly punish you for any of your wrongdoings or your wrong beliefs for any kind of blasphemy they would they would smite you on the spot it was a very bold belief system that he had in his time probably something he picked up in egypt or in hindustan or persia bringing it back to the west or to at least modern christianity pythagoras also taught that both man and the universe are made in the image of god 
that both being made in that image, the understanding of one predicted the knowledge of the other. He further taught that there was a constant interplay between the grand man, what he called the universe, and man, the little universe, basically the microcosm and the macrocosm. And that's, that's a very Christian view there that we're made in the image of God. I think a lot of people today would probably take that a little more literally. I think he meant that more esoterically, if I may say, in which you know everything is designed after the same pattern or truths of God. Um, Pythagoras and the Pythagoreans also believed in the theory of the transmigration of the soul, what we call today reincarnation. And it also their theory that the numbers constitute the true nature of things. They perform purification rites and follow the development of various rules of living which they believe would enable their soul to achieve a higher rank among the gods. And you know, there's you know, when you came back, you know, if you had lived a virtuous life, you you would evolve throughout your various lives until you would, you know, reunite with with the supreme god, the monad. Now the Pythagoreans also had a very strict moral code. And there's this quote I read in Manly P. Hall's The Secret Teachings of All Ages, which is really, really good. It's something that I think Masonry teaches in a lot of its degrees. Different words, same message. Quote, We must avoid with our utmost endeavor and amputate with fire and sword and by all other means from the body, sickness, from the soul, ignorance, from the belly, luxury, from a city, sedition, from a family, discord, and from all things, excess powerful quote right there basically teaching a middle path yep uh, brother bungie it's a very uh say it sounds to me like a very buddhist philosophy sounds like a uh, of course it translates uh, over to all of the major religions of the world but uh it's more directly spoken of in the buddhist religion uh that middle path uh, removing the excess from these things um to find peace within yourself Pythagoras was a very eclective man as far as his religion goes, and instead of just regurgitating these things that he had picked up across all these various lands, he kind of took the best of all of them and blended them together into his, into his grand philosophy of life and taught that to his students, um, which is a very noble thing to do. It's, uh, it's a very scary thing to do and a very difficult thing to do because there are a lot of contradictory messages uh, within all of these different teachings, within all these different religions, and it's generally the contradiction is, is within the dogmas of each of them. Now Pythagoras managed to kind of wade through all of the dogmas and pick out the fruit at all of these religions, and he, he blended them together into this into this philosophy that he taught. And, uh, you know, whether you believe in his philosophy or whether you think it's crap, it's still a very bold move on his part and uh, definitely in the spirit of trying to make progress. There's another quote um, that I'm going to read from the teaching, uh, the secret teaching of all ages, which then kind of goes on beyond this moral idea to what he found to be the fabric of morality. Quote, Pythagoras taught that friendship was the truest and nearest perfect of all relationships. He declared that in nature there was a friendship of all for all, of gods for men, of doctrines one for another, of the soul for the body, of the rational part for the irrational part, of philosophy for its theory. 
of men for one another, of countrymen for one another, that friendship also exists between strangers, between a man and his wife, his children and his servants. All bonds without friendship were shackles, and there was no virtue in their maintenance. It's very interesting, Brother Bungie, because I mean, he's talking about brotherhood here. Mm-hmm. He's talking about brotherly Absolutely. love. And, and, and that's the fabric of masonry. I mean, the three grand principles of Freemasonry are brotherly love, relief, and truth. And here Pythagoras saying that the first principle in his order was brotherly love. That relationships, no matter was it you know from a man to another man, from a man to his wife, of a doctrine to a religion, there's a relationship, and those relationships is what makes up humanity. And uh, it also ties into quantum mechanics today because you know what they're saying in physics today is that does a tree fall there's no one there to hear it you know does it make a sound no it doesn't i mean it the observer is just as important as the observee or the the various conditions of the experiment that without the observer there is no experiment so these relationships is what makes our experiences on this planet and we need them to learn now pythagoras here is talking about uh true friendship not the not what's considered friendship a lot of times in uh, our society here where you have to interact with somebody on a day-to-day basis and you know their home phone number so they're your friend uh, he he's talking about a true brotherly love and using the, he's he's using the term friendship uh, as it should be used not as loosely as we use it it is thrown around very very loosely these days um, you know, there, he was differentiating between an acquaintance, between somebody that you have to do business with every day, which, of course, there are many of those people, and you should show these people proper respect and and be an upstanding citizen towards them. But the true relationships out there should all be based on a friendship, on a with a core of brotherly love. I'm going to give you another quote here because I hope I'm not giving you too many quotes, but. There's just some good stuff out there to read about Pythagoras, and and it's much better words than we could place it ourselves. Uh, there's a book called Pythagoras and the Delphic Mysteries, and he tells a story about um, a Pythagorean who who dies, and and someone comes behind him to assist in paying his debts. He says, quote, one of them who had fallen upon sickness and poverty was kingly taken in by an innkeeper. Before dying, he traced a few mysterious signs, the pentagram, no doubt on the door of the inn and said to the host do not be uneasy one of my brothers will pay my debts a year afterwards as a stranger was passing by this inn he saw the signs and said to the host i am a pythagorean one of my brothers died here tell me what i owe you on his account i think this is kind of what exemplifies the idea of friendship of these relationships that they're going to take care of one another that your debts are my debts and I'm going to help you with your problems as you should help me with mine. These aphorisms that uh, Brother Bungie are going to read us here pretty soon, uh, they talk about this idea of, of lifting the burden of one another, but never creating burdens for one another. Now to kind of preface these uh, aphorisms, uh, I will give a brief explanation of their meanings, but is by no means to be considered the ultimate meaning of these aphorisms. This is an opinion, this is a a later translation of these aphorisms, and like I said earlier, as much can be read into these as 
one wants to and as much can be gained from these as one wants to um, but let's begin number one declining from the public ways walk in unfrequented paths now by this it is to be understood that those who desire wisdom must seek it in solitude number two govern your tongue before all other things following the gods now this aphorism warns man that his words instead of representing him misrepresent him and that when in doubt as to what he should say he should always be silent number three the wind blowing adore the sound and Pythagoras here reminds his disciples that the fiat of God is heard in the voice of the elements and that all things in nature manifest through harmony rhythm order or procedure the attributes of the deity number four assist a man in raising a burden but do not assist him in laying it down now, this is one of my favorites uh, the student is instructed to aid the diligent but never to assist those who seek to evade their responsibilities for it is a great sin to encourage indolence number five speak not about Pythagoric concerns without light the world is herein warned that it should not attempt to interpret the mysteries of God and the states of sciences without spiritual and intellectual illumination number six this is another one of my favorites having departed from your house turn not back for the furies will be your attendants now here Pythagoras warns his followers that any who begin the search for truth and after having learned part of the mystery become discouraged and attempt to return again to their former ways of vice and ignorance will suffer exceedingly for it's better to know nothing about divinity than to learn a little and then stop without learning all number seven nourish a rooster but sacrifice it not for it is sacred to the sun and moon now there's two lessons concealed in this aphorism the first is a warning against the sacrifice of living things to the gods because life is sacred and man should not destroy it even as an offering to the deity the second warns that the human body here referred to as a rooster is sacred to the sun which is represents God and the moon which represents nature and should be guarded and preserved as man's most precious medium of expression Pythagoras also warned his, his disciples against suicide in the same way he was very reverential of, of the human body uh, number eight receive not a swallow into your house he's talking about swallow the bird not a not a drink of a delicious beverage this warns the seeker after truth not to allow drifting thoughts to come into his mind nor shiftless persons to enter into his life he must ever surround himself with rationally inspired thinkers and with conscientious workers number nine offer not your right hand easily to anyone now this warns the disciple to keep his own counsel and not offer wisdom and knowledge to such as are incapable of appreciating them the hand here represents truth which raises those who have fallen because of ignorance but as many of the unregenerate do not desire wisdom they will cut off the hand that is extended in kindness to them time alone can affect the redemption of the ignorant masses now that's a very very deep philosophy right there and uh, something that's uh, not really considered politically correct to touch on these days it's not really considered politically correct to call 
anybody ignorant, especially the masses, but uh, very true today, just as it, is, as it always has been. And number 10, when rising from the bedclothes, roll them together and obliterate the impression of the body. Now here Pythagoras directed his disciples, who had awakened from the sleep of ignorance into the waking state of intelligence, to eliminate from their recollection all memory of their former spiritual darkness. For a wise man, in passing, leaves no form behind him, which others, less intelligent, seeing, shall use as a mold for the casting of idols. Brother Bungie, those sound pretty Masonic to me. Absolutely uh, Masonic and, and extremely deep thoughts as well. I mean, they're a little cryptic, but our art is just as cryptic, you know? Things may seem nonsensical or literal, but they have these, you know, they have a lot of these alternative understandings. You know, it's that onion we always talk about, you know, the, the layers that you take off. But I think a lot of these ideas that Pythagoras had goes back to a central idea he had in his, um, not a theology, but his philosophy, um, which is the Pythagorean why, which is what he used to talk about the choices we have in our life, that basically there are two paths, that from a central stem there come two parts, like in a Y, one branching to the right and the other to the left. The branch to the right was called the divine wisdom, and one to the left, earthly wisdom. Youth, personified by the candidate walking the path of light, symbolized the central stem of the Y, reaching the point where the path divides. The neophyte must then choose whether he will take the left-hand path and, following the dictates of his lower nature, enter upon a span of folly and thoughtlessness, which will ultimately result in his undoing, or whether he will take the right-hand road and, through integrity, industry, and sincerity, ultimately regain union with the immortals in the superior fears. Now, Pythagoras divided his... Um, his cosmos into three realms. It sounds like the three symbolical journeys or the three kingdoms of the LDS of religion. First one, the supreme world, the second, the superior world, and the last one, the inferior world. Basically, the supreme world is where God, the monad, dwells. The superior world is where the immortals live and all the archetypes that we have on earth, the seals as he called them, exist. And the inferior world is the earth. It is where we live, where, where material existence is. Pretty interesting that everything that Brother Brian Bungie read basically is advice. It's wisdom of how to go to the right-hand path, to go towards divine wisdom and leave the folly, the thoughtlessness, and leave the folly of the left-hand path. It is important. Like you were saying, this, this is a philosophy and not a theology. Uh, these things are not dogmas. They're not things that you have to do. He's not saying that to be a good person or to be righteous or to have salvation, you must follow what I'm telling you. Uh, he's the one that coined the phrase philosopher because he, he, did not, he didn't believe that he knew things. Prior to him coining that phrase, these uh, extremely knowledgeable men called themselves sages, which means one who knows. Um, and Pythagoras didn't like that. He thought that was a little uh, self-righteous. He coined the phrase philosopher, um, and he intended it to mean one who is trying to find out. Oh, he believed himself. He didn't think he had all of the answers here, um, but he was making, he made it his life's work to 
try and discover these answers. And he's sharing with uh, his students and with the rest of the world um, what he has discovered along that journey. Um, but he is not saying that these things uh, are divine principles that must be followed for salvation to follow. And it's interesting that it took so many years to, to advance in his organization. I mean, it wasn't something you spent two months, took an exam, and you were in the next degree. Like, you had to spend years of intense study to even prepare yourself for the next degree in his system because, I mean, they were studying some in-depth mathematics, some, some principles which he believed would lead to the evolution of mankind. And this is not basic studies. I mean, this is what today we'd probably consider, you know, a doctorate degree or more, you know, intense research in a lab. And he was on the forefront of a lot of these ideas. I mean, there's a reason why we all know his name today. There's a reason why his mathematical formulas are still so important today. I mean, he's the one that really discovered that there are irrational numbers. And, you know, this math is what our world is built on today. Our technology, our cell phones, our computers, our cars, everything is built on this mathematics. Without it, we wouldn't have all these luxuries. So we take for granted what we have that was based on these ancient figures that we kind of look like, oh, they're you know, figures of antiquity. They don't know anything, you know. Their ideas are outdated. But really, they are the foundation of today's creations. They absolutely are. I mean, these people... These people dedicated themselves. They spent seven years preparing themselves to move up to the next level. Um, we spend eight years getting a Ph.D., but uh, you have to keep in mind, you, you don't spend every hour of every day living at the school no, and studying your every waking hour either. I mean, this is what they did. This was their... They didn't have a career that they were following. This is what they did. It was seven years of nothing but study for that, which would probably equate to about... 30, 40 years of going through our university systems. Here. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's the amount of study that they put into these was incredible. And through any amount of research, somebody that has the pure intentions these people do, I mean, they, they weren't doing the research to advance themselves in a career field. They weren't concerned about a degree. They didn't, they, they weren't going to be compensated monetarily for the, for the efforts they were putting forth. In fact, they knew that they were going to live a life of poverty due to these things. They did this in the the pure pursuit of knowledge. They wanted knowledge for themselves and knowledge for anybody else in the world who was ready to accept that knowledge. Um, that's why they made such huge advancements in here. It wasn't uh, capitalism had nothing to do with this here, um, and not that that's a bad thing. Not that capitalism is a bad thing. But it's definitely a hindrance to pure scientific progress for the sake of science. Absolutely, Brother Brian Bungie. Um, not only did they spend you know, a lot of years in intensive you know, training for their education, but they ate certain foods, they slept at certain times uh, to be able to just get that, that little bit of efficiency out of their heads. Uh, it is said that um, certain... Um, of the administrators would read uh, poetry at night, that they may enhance their memory, that certain you know musicians would play with the lyre as they went to sleep and throughout the night to enhance their knowledge. And this is interesting because the whole that's the whole Mozart effect today. 
that you know have your babies listen to classical music they're going to retain more information and a lot of studies here in, in the former Soviet Union have proven that music does enhance the ability of the mind to memorize things that it changes the frequency at which the mind works so again these are ideas that today we're only proving through scientific instrumentation and they were using it thousands of years ago they were using it but um, this is at, at least at least 500 years before Christ they they started using this and who knows where Pythagoras got the idea from I, I doubt that it was an original idea of his it was probably something that he picked up from his many travels throughout all of these learned men and learned societies and the Egyptians had these mystery schools for thousands of years before Pythagoras came around and they, I mean, they had knowledge of, and this is a completely different topic, but they, I mean, they had knowledge of astronomical things that are, that have just been proven, uh, not thousands of years ago, but hundreds of years ago, that we're just now being able to prove. These are schools that had knowledge of these things, and uh, we won't get any more in-depth into that. That's a whole nother podcast. And we will do that podcast, <laughs> for sure. You know, it's interesting, the Pythagoreans even thought that each star had planets, going around them with their own atmospheres and people living on them. I mean, an idea that a couple hundred years ago you'd be laughed at. Today, there are telescopes, the Hubble's discovering all these planets, Earth-like planets possibly. Could there be creations on them? I mean, that's not for me to determine. But a lot of what he was saying back then without the instrumentation is coming true. So this guy was not a fool. This guy was the man. <laughs> This guy was, I mean, he was the philosopher. And there were some of the documentation that Pythagoras, that they were able to save from Pythagoras' school after, and it, it ended in tragedy. Of course, all these great men uh, tend to end in tragedy. But uh, some of the writings that were saved um, were bought for great amounts of money by Plato, who revered this man. All of the, all of the Greek philosophers that are known and revered in today's society, Socrates and Plato and, and all of these such men, uh, they revered Pythagoras as their superior. They looked to learn from his writings, and they were willing to pay immense sums of money to just to be able to handle a few pieces of, of parchment that had some of his philosophies written on them so they might understand them better. He's considered the first of the great philosophers. But as Brother Bungie said... A lot of these men that enter these type of fields end up perishing because of their beliefs. And uh, though there are many different you know, renditions of what happened to him at the end of his life, uh, there seems to have been uh, some individuals that were not accepted into his school. They became disgruntled, and they encouraged the, uh, the people living around the school to uh, form a mob. They marched on the school, and one account says they killed him. The second account says he escaped with some supporters. And while at this house, on their way of retreat, the enemies located them, circled the house, lit it on fire, and they all burned to death. Now a third rendition of the story says that they found them in this house, they tried to burn it, and that his supporters created a, a human bridge, which Pythagoras was able to walk over them, over the fire, and escape. And that later, he died a broken heart because his followers were all dead and all his teachings were in vain because humanity was lost. Now regardless of which version of these stories is true, um, 
it does go. There's one thing they all agree on is that uh, some people who were deemed unworthy of attending the school, which uh, his standards weren't. They weren't ridiculously strict, uh, from all we can tell. There were there were plenty of people that were accepted in there um, to do the basic learnings. Not everybody was accepted into the higher degrees of the school, but uh, how many people would really want to dedicate themselves that way? I think a lot of folks believed they, they could do that, and after a month or two of trying to live the requirements that uh, they would have to, they would run away. I think he was trying to prevent that. Just as uh, you know, the requirements that are that we ask of any candidate into Freemasonry are as much to protect that person as they are to protect the lodge. I mean, it, with an inside knowledge such as Pythagoras had, or such as we as Freemasons have, as to what the the lodge or what his school would require of these people, we have a better knowledge of who's going to excel in these things and who will not thrive in these situations. There are a lot of people who will not thrive um, through no fault of their own. There's just some people who don't learn things this way, who don't have a desire to learn things this way. Or they're on the left-hand path, yeah. as he stated. That you know they, they want some knowledge, but they don't want to let go of the physical realm, so they're just not ready to take the path of divine wisdom. Absolutely. And these people, uh, people got angry at the fact that uh, he, he would not allow them into the school and these people they managed to to rile up a mob and more than likely convince them of things that were not happening in the school that he was doing some kind of evil things uh, because there was not a full disclosure of the higher degrees I'm sure these people were susceptible to believe that uh, yeah I'm sure he's doing these horrible evil things because he won't tell us everything that's going on so uh, they went after him and they destroyed this uh, great philosopher who uh, wasn't recognized until much later on in life uh, as the great man that he was. Sounds a little bit like the anti-Masonic party, you know? Some people wanted in, um, and they weren't allowed in, so they were going to disclose all this information, and then suddenly he disappeared, and then you had mobs, people angry, wanting to destroy Freemasonry because of their secrets. And I think this is a story that's not only happened in Masonry... Pythagoras, but with all great uh, institutions in which there's that one guy that doesn't get in and he wants to bring it all down because mm -hmm. he can't be a part of it. And when you try to think about the, the correlation to masonry, you know, you do. You have these people who aren't worthy of the next degree, and out of their rage and their desire to attain this knowledge, uh, ill gotten knowledge they'll destroy the, the only source of this knowledge and uh, destroy the the only source of it for the rest of the world as well as themselves. We've been rambling here for a while, so we're going to uh, take our leave. Uh, next month we'll be talking about uh, Lieutenant Charles Warren. We'll be going from London to Palestine to Singapore and all the way back on his exciting adventures as a very predominant Freemason at the end of the 19th century. From myself and Brother Brian Bungie, we thank you for listening. Thank you. And uh, check out our website, send us some comments, and uh, let us know what kind of topics you guys would like to hear. Thanks, and have a good one. This has been Legend of the Craft. 
We hope you've been inspired, and we'll tune in next month for more myths and legends of Freemasonry.